people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, today we're going to hear a very interesting topic about islet cell transplant. And we're here with Renee Jacob, who actually received this transplant, and she's from Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Renee. Thank you. So uh, tell us a little bit about when you were diagnosed with diabetes. I was diagnosed a little later in life than a lot of people are diagnosed with type 1. Um, I was diagnosed at 24, and I had just graduated from college and was trying to start a career, and um, I was um, just finishing up grad school, actually, and um, I was in a little bit of a denial state about it at first. A lot of uh, what I now know to be the typical symptoms of type 1 diabetes, constant thirst and urination and hunger and weight loss, I just kept justifying and rationalizing as being something else. So I didn't go to the doctor right away. It took me several months getting quite ill before I actually went to the doctor to say, these are my symptoms. And he just basically looked at me and said, you have type 1 diabetes. (laughs) Of course, he ran some tests, but um, that was kind of the gist of it. So did you have to start insulin right away? Yes, I pretty much started right away. So I know that this eventually, the diabetes led to kidney failure. How much longer was that uh, till that happened? Um, let's see, I was 39 when I had my kidney transplant. So 15, 16 years. So it was just basically the diabetes that slowly eroded your kidneys, which uh, led to you needing a kidney transplant. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. I wasn't the most compliant type 1 diabetic. I don't think that most diabetics um, suffer renal failure that early, you know, after 15 years of diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was, again, a little bit of a shock, but I was definitely having my own problems and struggles in self-care and control. So it was uh, a little tough. Yeah, no, I mean, diabetes is uh, difficult just basically with, you know, all the injections and the food restrictions, and then you add, you know, dialysis on top of it, it can be, uh, or kidney failure can be very difficult. Uh, Did you, um, I know you got a kidney transplant from a girlfriend, which I think is pretty interesting, but did you have to be on dialysis before that? I was not on dialysis. Thanks to my fabulous living donor, I was able to avoid dialysis. I was at the point where I did visit a dialysis center and my nephrologist started talking to me about putting me on dialysis. Um, My creatinine was down to um, about an 8, I believe. Okay, Um, so it was up there. I mean, my GFR was about an 8. Oh, 8, yeah, that's pretty low, especially with diabetes. (laughs) Right, exactly. And because I had um, a couple of people that were willing to get tested for living donation. My nephrologist wanted to keep the dialysis at bay 
and see how these um, these living donors ended up working out. And fortunate for me, the um, the transplant happened within a few months of me actually needing dialysis. Well, what's interesting, did um, your doctor talk to you about getting on the transplant list and the potential of getting a kidney pancreas transplant? Did he yes. suggest that as an option? But the wait time, I mean, and you live in Chicago, is probably, I imagine, at least five years. Well, for a, a kidney only, it is about five, six, seven years. You're exactly right. For the kidney pancreas, it goes down, and I'm not exactly sure why that is, but when you get both organs together, the wait time goes down to about two, two and a half years, I believe. Well, and I think the interesting thing is is that you either had to make a decision to go on dialysis to wait for a kidney pancreas, or your girlfriend gave you a kidney, which then I guess your option would be later to go get another pancreas. But I'm really excited to hear about uh, this islet cell transplant. I know it's in experimental stages, but can you tell us a little bit about what that was like and how it was presented to you? Sure, yeah, and you're exactly right. In the option that I had once I received the living donor kidney, a couple months after that, my, um, my surgeon started talking to me about the next step, uh, pancreas transplant. And I was feeling really good after my kidney transplant and was not really up for another surgery right away. I, I heard, um, I started reading about the pancreas transplant and talked to people who had them and the success rate just is not that of a kidney. And, um, the pancreas only list is not that long. It seems like um, it's maybe a matter of months before you get a pancreas only. So the time factor, the time issue was, you know, was not really a factor. But that same surgeon was also the PI for this islet cell transplantation study, which is in clinical trials. And um, Northwestern Medical Center, which is where I received my kidney um, or had my kidney operation, is part of this islet cell consortium, which is, includes several different university medical centers in the U.S. and Canada. And he asked me if I would be interested in going through the process of getting listed and seeing if I qualified and met the inclusion criteria, which from what I understand is pretty tight. They've been looking at islet cell transplantation for a while, but they recently started looking at islet after kidney. So they're looking at people who had kidney transplants and, um, you know, type 1 diabetics who had kidney transplants, and now they would be eligible for a pancreas transplant, but, hey, you know, let's try this. And so I learned a lot about it and went through the series of tests, which are very similar to what one goes through to get on any transplant list, and uh, learned that I indeed did qualify to receive an islet cell transplant. So then it was kind of, you know, waiting time, and they had to wait until they had a, uh, a deceased donor pancreas and were able to actually harvest enough cells to do this type of a transplant. So it was just kind of like, um, you know, any other transplant where you receive the call and they say, you know, yeah, we have a pancreas and we have cells and they're looking good and um, be on deck. And then they call you back and say either yay or nay. And in my case, 
um, it was yay. And it was a little over a year after my kidney transplant that this happened. Um, my first islet cell transplant was in April, yes, April of 2010. And they basically harvest these cells from the deceased donor pancreas and infuse them into the recipient. So they do it in interventional radiology. It didn't even have to go into an OR. And they insert the islets or they infuse the islets through the portal vein in the liver. Oh, okay. So they basically just, you go in, it's kind of like having a catheter inserted or something like that, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And how long and, does it take? Um, the infusion itself, I think, I think it was maybe an hour, maybe a little bit longer, not not much. I had to stay in the hospital for about five days, but it had more to do with drugs that I needed and clinical trial tests that they needed to run than anything else. You know, you needed to come in a couple days ahead of time to get prepped and that type of stuff. Um, so I had my computer with me, and I was, you know, I was pretty alert most of the time. Post-transplant, I did end up getting nauseous and throwing up and that type of stuff from some of the medications that they gave me, but that only lasted maybe 24 hours, and it was never anything that, that would prevent you know, that would make me say, oh, gosh, I would never do that again or discourage anybody from, from doing something like this. Well, when you receive a kidney, you know, the goal is is that the kidney starts working immediately, and hopefully your kidney started working immediately. But how does it work with a uh, islet cell transplant? I mean... That's a good question. Um, and basically what they told me, and it's interesting when you're in a clinical trial because you have questions like the ones that you're asking and when you go to the PI or the, you know, the, the group of people that, uh, healthcare folks, they sometimes just don't know the answer and you kind of have to be comfortable with that, you know. Um, but what they've learned is that it takes maybe about six weeks or so for these islets to mature. I left the hospital after that first islet cell transplant. I went in, let's back up just a minute, but I went into the hospital on about 30 to 35 units of insulin per day to keep my blood sugar in moderate control. And I was on an insulin pump. I left the hospital uh, two days after the islet cell infusion and they told me to cut everything in half. So I left and I was on about 15 to 17 units of insulin per day. And as I went through my days and became more active and got more into my own routine, they told me to just go ahead and make adjustments as needed, either up or down, with the hope that it's down. So over the course of the next two months, I slowly chiseled away at my insulin intake and I was, at, I was down to about six or seven units per day when I got the call that they wanted to do a second one. And that was June 18th of 2010. So after that transplant, I left the hospital insulin-free and have not looked back. Well, did they use the same cells from the first donor the second time? No, they, um, they can't. So basically, they'll, they'll take the, the cells from the pancreas and 
they do their magic to them, you know, whatever that is where they harvest them and, and make sure that they are good and viable cells. They need to have a certain amount of cells per kilogram of body weight. I know people who are heavier, have a larger body mass, may have a longer waiting period before they can actually get enough cells to transplant them. So that is one of the drawbacks to this procedure. I, I think that and I may be speaking out of turn, but they, um, I believe they've transplanted more women than they have men just because, in general, women weigh less than men do. But, um, you know, once those cells are taken and infused into the recipient, that's it. You know, now they're in me and they're working and they can't be reused. Uh, I'm sure a certain amount of them do end up dying off and... Um, the remaining ones are not sure really what happens if they end up reproducing inside um, the recipient or if the ones that are originally transplanted are the only ones that are there. They're just kind of not sure about that. So when they do, when they called me for the second pancreas or the second transplant, it was a second pancreas that they received those cells from, a second donor, which is, again, one of the issues with this procedure is that they're finding that they need more than one donor, one pancreas, to make a person insulin-free. Well, once they uh, uh, harvest the cells from the pancreas, is that pancreas no longer a viable uh, transplant for somebody else? It is no longer. Um, it never really was, from what I understand. Okay, these are pancreases pan that can't be used. Yeah, it's a pancreas that has good cells, but it may just be too soft or not, um, for whatever reason, not viable as a solid organ. Oh, wow, transplant. that's amazing. So you yeah. basically have a, a kidney from your girlfriend and then two separate pancreas uh, cells from two separate donors. So has your personality changed from all of these different uh, <laughs> no, sources? No, not yet, but we keep wondering when I'm going to start eating meat or liking bananas or something like that because these are things that I don't do. Um, and every once in a while, I'll say something to my husband, and he'll say, well, that's your kidney talking. <laughs> <laughs> or the pancreas cell. Well, what kind of meds do you take, and uh, you are now have been insulin-free for how long? For one year. Wow. I just celebrated my one-year insulin-free anniversary. Um, and it's really just mind-blowing. It's amazing. Uh, C's Candy is on your Valentine's Day want list, right? <laughs> um, you know, I'm really uh, careful about that still. I, I feel like, sometimes I feel like I'm living on borrowed time and I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to fall. Uh, again, because this is a clinical trial and the answers are unknown. I was the first person under this particular protocol to be transplanted, so... We don't really know how this particular protocol is acting or reacting with recipients. So it's kind of a, you know, a day-by-day -day thing. And I don't know how long these islets are going to last. And so I don't want to push it. And it's not that I don't treat myself to sweets or that type of thing. And I find that I'm able to do it but I am definitely a little nervous. On my one-year anniversary of the islet transplant, my husband said, do you want to go out for a milkshake? Because I kept saying, you know, when I'm insulin-free, I'm going to go have a milkshake, and I'm going to drink it through a Twizzler and all this stuff. And 
um, I just can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> well, I suggest if you haven't already uh, read the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And it's a great okay. book. And it basically, uh, she, you know, she was a, a, a cancer patient who died um, in, I believe, the 50s. And they harvest her, her cells. They're called the HeLa cells. And they're basically responsible for every single cell and uh, reproduction, you know, in the beginning of it. And her cells are still growing today. They're like the main source. So it was a very inspiring book and talking about some of the medical breakthroughs. And so if islet cell transplant is anything like uh, the HeLa cell, they're going to live forever. (laughs) Oh, uh, that's really encouraging. And I hope so. I know it's pretty amazing. I guess they, they just reproduced and reproduced, and they're really responsible for uh, pretty much all of our medical breakthroughs in cell technology today. Oh, yeah, I it's a great book. It's on the bestseller list. You, yeah. can, you can go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon, and it's pretty much in the top 10, top 20 books right now. Okay. Well, one of the things, too, what are your labs running? I mean, you know, as a transplant patient myself, I always want to know what people's creatinine is, and is everything pretty normal, and what kind of medications are you on? Oh, yeah. Um, So, basically, to answer the um, med question first, I, um, after my kidney transplant, I was put on Prograf and Celsept. Northwestern is a non-steroid center, so I was not on steroids leaving the hospital. I switched from Celsept to my Fortic, then I had the islet, the first islet transplant last April and again in June, and they basically kept me on the same meds that I was on for my kidney. My progress level, they seem to want maybe just a little bit higher with the um, with the islets. Uh, I think more just to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but other than that, I'm not on anything in addition to uh, the kidney. Uh, any meds in addition to the kidney transplant. So after the islets, I was basically on the same same exact medication. So I'm pretty happy about that because I was able to kind of go through any type of adjustment for meds after the kidney transplant, and a year later, I didn't have a lot of readjusting to do. Well, being steroid-free is pretty amazing. Uh, You know, I know that there's a lot of centers that are looking into that and practicing that protocol. So that's exciting not to have to deal with steroids. (laughs) I know. I know. I was definitely excited about that when um, uh, when I learned that Northwestern was a steroid-free center. So what what is your creatinine run? Oh, that's right, the creatinine. Um, I was... Just in for my for that one year post islet cell transplant appointment, and I believe my creatinine it usually runs between oh point nine six and one point oh five or something like that. So it's usually right there around one. Well, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Yeah. So, especially yeah. when point six to one point four is pretty much, I guess, the normal range. It depends on what lab you go to, but that's awesome. Okay. And you're on basically no insulin. All your glucose levels are are normal. Yeah, you know they they do a test called the um, hemoglobin A one C, and the A one C basically every diabetic knows about this test, and we get it every time that we go to our endocrinologist, and it measures the amount of um, sugar in our red blood cells over the past 
90 days or so. And for a diabetic, you know, our goal is to have it, I have our A1Cs to be seven or under. And mine has been 4.8 for the past year, basically. And that's basically a non-diabetic A1C. So if you were to not talk to me and not know anything about my history and run a gamut of blood tests, you would never know that I had diabetes or was in renal failure or anything like that. It's quite, quite phenomenal. It is really amazing when you just sit back and you think about medical technology. And, you know, my thought has always been living with kidney disease since 1968. You just got to stay alive till the next miracle happens because they're happening all the time. There's trials going on. And, you know, you uh, you were lucky enough to be able to get in this trial and looks like the success so far is great. And, you know, you, you just don't know what's around the corner that can change your life drastically. It gives us so much hope. It does give us a lot of hope. And, you know, I'm, I'm 42, and I don't know, um, you know, I don't know what this is going to bring as far as the future of diabetes and a cure and all of that stuff. I've, but I am very, very hopeful that this will lead to something else in the future. And I think it's the young the young people that are really going to benefit from something like this. I know that um, the Chicago Diabetes Project is looking at taking islet cells um, and reproducing them in the laboratory to make them more available to more people. Um, and they're also looking at encapsulating them to um, because, like, for me, I already had a kidney transplant and was already on immunosuppressants. But as a type 1 diabetic who didn't have a transplant and wants to now participate in this clinical trial for islet cell transplants, well, now they've basically traded in their insulin vial for a bunch of immunosuppressants, just like we take as kidney patients. So that's, you know, there's a risk-reward aspect there, and there's a huge decision that needs to be made. And so I know that um, they're looking at encapsulating these islet cells to prevent the need of immunosuppressant drugs in non-transplant recipients. So just a lot of really, really neat, phenomenal, amazing things that they're doing out there. Well, how is your donor doing? My donor, oh, she is fabulous. She, um, she's probably the most altruistic person I've ever met, and I'm sure that anybody who's had a living donor understands what I mean by that. And uh, she's doing fabulously. She ran the Chicago Marathon last year for the Chicago Diabetes Project, and she's planning on running the New York City Marathon for them this year to continue to raise money for you know, diabetes awareness and islet cell transplantation and all of that stuff. And she's feeling good, and she looks great, and she's she took basically a week off of work after her kidney donation, and she's just a go-getter and a trooper, and I wouldn't be where I am without her, so I'm forever indebted. Well, Renee, I really want to thank you for sharing your story, and, you know, you are a pioneer, and there's so many people listening who have been pioneers in different aspects of care, but it takes those brave individuals to be the one that'll step forward and say, you know what, I'll go first, I'll be the guinea pig, and you really change the outlook for so many patients and our health outcomes, so I really appreciate that, and sharing your story was just magnificent. I think this is going to be one of our best topics because this gives people so much hope. Thank you, yes, it really does give 
give people hope and to see the actual and just to see and experience the actual success of something like this is really really amazing i feel really blessed well and before uh, i conducted this interview i typed in islet cell transplant and there is quite a bit of information on the internet about it and yes. you know i learned a lot about it and i think you giving a firsthand experience with it will really help people see that this looks like it's going to be a great option for the future so thank you very I much sure so. <laughs> and uh, i look forward to talking to you soon Thanks, Lori. Bye bye. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare team. We can take steps towards self improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 